men. If you would turn to Mark chapter 5. Mark 5 is where we're going to be today as we've been walking through a series for the last number of weeks on the kingdom of God in a series called Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives. That as we've been looking at the Gospel of Mark, all about the reign of Jesus in the section of Scripture specifically, and how Jesus rules and reigns, we don't want to be so out there to think it's always great in church how we're always like, yeah, that's awesome for them, that's awesome for everyone else, but no, it's for us. It's not Jesus' rule and reign out there, it's Jesus' rule and reign in our hearts, in our lives. And today is no different as we look at last week, Pastor Matt, our youth pastor, was able to share about the authority and the power of Jesus over nature, right? And now today we look at Jesus' authority and power and dominion over the demonic realm, the demonic realm that is still ever-present today. You may not think it's ever-present today, but it's ever-present today. I'll share a short story. I won't give all the details, but as I was studying today, I was just reminded of a, a time I had in, in Uganda, and you've heard the story before if you've been around a church for a while, to where I experienced firsthand of the, the, the de- de- demonic realm of Satan moving in the hearts of people all over the place. As we were in a refugee camp in the middle of Uganda, about 100,000 refugees, and as we were about to leave, the schoolmaster, is really the principal, asked us to come and pray over his sweet wife, who was very frail and small, laying on a mat in a hut. And we went in to pray over for her to be healed. As doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong, no one could figure out why she was sick or what was wrong with her. And we began to pray over her, myself, um, the pastor, local pastor there, a brother from Woodside, Detroit, and two women. We began to pray over this young woman. And as we began to pray, at the moment with which Jesus' name was proclaimed, she and all other frame came alive. And demonic activity was ever present, physically harming people in the hut. And actually, um, you could just see something that I've never seen before. In my own experience, I was overwhelmed, and all I could say was, Jesus, please, Jesus, and Jesus, Jesus. People that have been around it much more than I, was this was normal case for them, in a matter of maybe 10 minutes or so, I saw a woman go from frail to having superhuman strength to being relieved as a demon was taken out of her life. Something I'll never forget in my entire life. It's fascinating. Last night, Sarah and I had a free night. It's very rare when you have young kids. And they were babysitting. And so what should we do? We're like, oh, let's go to the movies. And we haven't been to the movies in a long time. So we looked at the movies. And every movie, literally at every theater right now, is of that type of activity. And it actually overwhelmed me as I was preparing for today. Every movie was about this exorcism or this or that. And it seemed as though much of what is happening in the world, what I experienced in a little hut in Uganda, is almost propped up, especially in this season or on Halloween. And it's glorified and it's amplified. And it's, and it's like, man, a display of something that really much people don't believe is real. It's just fun to watch on TV. But I'm here to tell you, man, it's not just something that is a long time ago in Jesus' time. It is ever-present today. And it's not just in Uganda, in huts, 
where, where people are, are heavily more spiritual, where it's seen more. Yes, it's there and it's, it's seen through witch doctors and other things because the spirit realm, there there's no agnostics. There's no people that think that, oh, like, you know, there, there, there's no, no people that believe there isn't a God. You're either on the side of goodness or you're on the side of Satan. You're on the side of God or you're on the side of Satan. And it's very prevalent there. And you might say, well, why are you sharing that, Jim? I'm sharing it to you because I think sometimes in our own mentality as Western believers, we can get into a slump of believing, yeah, Satan's out there. Yeah, there's demonic activity. Yeah, there's, there's an ever darkness that is roaming the world trying to eat me like a roaring lion, but it's just somewhere out there. And I just want to remind you, it's not just out there, it's in, the, it's in the room. It's in your home. It's in your workplace. It's in your car. It's in your phone. That just as Jesus' time as we're going to read about today, there is relevance for us in reading the passage today that we might see our own lives here today and how Jesus can work in our own hearts just like he did in a young man's life that is found in Mark chapter 5. And what I want you to see today is that Jesus still, not just back in the day in Bible times and Jesus' time, but Jesus reigns over the demonic realm. Do you believe that? Jesus reigns over the demonic realm. I saw it with my own eyes in a hut in Uganda where in the name of Jesus, as we just saw, chains were broken and someone was healed. That Jesus is still working today. And it may not be as prevalent as you, that, I, that I saw in Uganda, but in your heart, if you're joining us online, your own lives, Jesus still today reigns over the demonic realm. And I want you to just see a few ways with which Jesus does reign over the demonic realm in your life and in my life. Let's look in verse 1 and read down to 13. This is what it says. They came to the other side of the sea. Remember last week, Jesus is out, wind and the waves. He tells them to calm down. They finally arrived to the other side, to the country of the garrisons. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him night and day among the tombs, and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, by God, do not torment me. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding uh, there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, which is a phrase you should underline and circle in your Bible. They don't do anything without the permission of God. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. 
So, yeah, I want, to see, I want you to see a few things this morning, that the way with which Jesus reigns over the demonic realm, and the first thing is that he removes our uncleanness. This is what he did for this young man, is he removed his uncleanness, right? So Jesus is going across what is the, the really, they call it a sea, but it's really a, more of a lake. And as he hits the other side, as soon as he steps out, he's met by this desperate, demon-possessed man who has a great need. And really, it seems like from the text, he's driven by the demon, not his own spirit. As the demon even comes and says, man, don't torment me. What do you have with me, son of the most high God? Like, he knows exactly who, who Jesus is. He isn't confused. He knows who he is, he knows what power he has, and he knows what's about to happen to him. And he says, hey, don't torment me, right? And you see a, diff- a few different ways with which man, Jesus uh, helps this young man and the way in which this man is desperate. He's desperate spiritually, he's desperate relationally, he's desperate physically, and you see that in the text, right? As soon as you, you read it, he says that he met with a man with an unclean spirit. What he means by that is that there is a demonic possession of this man, that there's an unclean spirit, that there's a demon tormenting this man, indwelling this man who's overtaken him, really taken up residence in him, and and has overpowered him over and over again to the point where no one can really help him. We'll get to the point in a moment with who it is that is overpowering him. So, I mean, he's spiritually, uh, he's desperate There's nothing that he can do within himself to relieve himself of the demonic oppression that is in him. Just like a young woman sitting on a mat in Uganda in a little hut in a refugee camp, there's nothing that she could do and there's nothing that anyone else outside of her could figure out or do for her because she was overwhelmed, desperate, spiritually, to be relieved from what was happening to him. Second. He's desperate relationally. If you look at the text, the demons, there was numerous. We see in the text, tormented him. He had no control. He probably lost all of his family, all of his friends. You know, his actions were very violent. He had unbelievable strength. It says that he was chained, but he would wrench the chains off. I'm not sure what that looks like as a human being. Really had somewhat of a superhuman strength to be able to, to break chains and not be bound. And they tried to bound him, bind him, I'm sure, because he was erratic and probably dangerous. And so he's he lost all of his family, his friends, and now he is in this place where he has no human companionship. It says that he's living among the dead. Like, he's where graves are. And this, this young man who is overwhelmed by demonic oppression is just living out in the graveyard. He's desperate relationally. Spiritually, relationally, he has no connection. He's pushed outside of society, living among the dead. Not only that, he's he's desperate physically. It says that the demons actually torment him day and night, and they distorted his mind and his body. What does it say? It says, night and day among the tombs, on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Just imagine what that's like for a moment unrelenting pain, most likely naked, violent, causing injury to himself day and night, crying out, shouting of unrelenting pain. 
If you want a picture of what Satan wants to do in your life, my life, that's a great picture. He wants to make you desperate spiritually. He wants to make you desperate relationally. He wants to make you desperate physically. He wants to separate you, right? And the man seems pretty hopeless, honestly. Under the powers of darkness, there's nothing that he can do until he meets Jesus. Man, if that is not a word for you today, man, that, that, until, until Jesus enters the equation, there's no hope for this young man. In just a moment, Jesus, he touches the shoreline, he sees this man, runs up to him, and he screams out, what have you to do with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God, as the demon is sharing, like he is scared, like Jesus has hit the shore, now what's going to happen to me? He's, he's moment, in a moment, recognizing his deity, his sovereignty, all of that in a moment. If you, if you want to question whether Jesus is truly God, right here, even the demons are declaring it. They know who Jesus is. There's no questions asking him, right? And so he says, Jesus says, what's your name? What do you say? He says, my name is Legion. Now, there's a lot of speculation around this, but he says, for we are many. Now, this connects back to uh, actual number of troops in a Roman legion. Do you know how many that is? 6,000. In a Roman legion, there's about 6,000. Some believe that that, that, that might have been the number of demons in this young man. The point of the story really is not necessarily caring about the number of demons in the young man, is the fact that Jesus was really confronted by an army of demons in this young man. That there's many, he even admits, I am legion, we, he doesn't say I, he says we are many that have taken possession of this young man. And the demon knows exactly what's about to happen. And he says, man, please don't cast us out of this countryside. Man, can we... Can we be sent into those pigs? Please, if you read another passage in Luke chapter 8, it talks about we don't send us into the abyss. Like, let us stay here. Can we go and possess those pigs? I don't know if you've ever seen 2,000 pigs. I grew up on a pig farm, about 500. That's a lot of pigs. It's just 2,000 pigs. He's like, man, give us permission to leave this man, this one man, and enter into 2,000 pigs. Just think about that for a moment. There's a lot of them in this young man. And he gives them permission. What I love about that is that there's permission granted. Just like the one day when Satan goes before God Almighty and and God himself says, have you thought about my servant Job? Satan, I just want to remind you, no matter what he is doing in the world around you, in in your family, or in the world, nothing can be done outside of the permission of the God Almighty. He is not more powerful. He can't overthrow. He is a pawn in the hands of God. He says, man, give us permission, and God, Jesus himself, grants it. And it's interesting why we would do that. We don't know. Some say that he wanted to give a tangible evidence that the man was actually healed, that they saw them get into these pigs and destroy them. What's fascinating is this man is overwhelmed by darkness and the power and the authority of Satan, and in a moment he is healed. He's healed spiritually He's healed physically. He's healed relationally. And I just want to remind us today, as I said from the beginning, it may not be visible to you in the world that we live in every single day. And I feel like there's always a tension. I've shared this before. People are either on one side 
hyper like, um, yeah, I don't know. They say Satan exists, but I've never seen it or experienced it. I don't really know if there's actually spiritual forces coming against us every single day. And then there's other people on the other side that are obsessed with it. They're constantly thinking about it. They're constantly going after it. They think every time they get a flat tire, Satan's like, like after them, right? But in the middle is reality within Scripture that, yes, there is spiritual powers and authorities and forces that are coming against us every single day. And like I said before, it may not be visible to us, like a visible in Uganda in, in a small hut, but for us every single day, Satan is ever-present trying to do exactly. Man, how many times as a pastor have I seen it? Maybe you've seen it as an individual that, that Satan does very, he's very smart. He may not be showing himself so present in the world we're living in, but I'm telling you what, Satan has a, has a mark on your back to separate you and make you desperate spiritually, just like that man. He may not be able to possess you because you're possessed by the Spirit of God, but there is, there's a, there is a, a real force that is trying to separate you and make you desperate spiritually. Yeah, you don't need to read your Bible. You can just listen on Sunday morning. You don't need to worry about joining a small group. Just live your own life. You don't need to be in a Bible study and go deep with the Lord. Just don't worry about it. You don't need to obey the Scriptures. Just live for money and success and all the other things. Every single day, there is a, a, a real power that's coming after you to separate you spiritually and make you desperate. The same thing would be, would, would, be, would be relationally. Man, every time, I don't care what situation is, when I have someone in the church that is dabbling in sin and going down a road, that, that they're giving in to the temptation of Satan, to the temptation of the world, every time without fail, they separate themselves relationally. They begin to put distance between their brothers and sisters in Christ. They begin to put distance in the church. They're not here very much. Slowly but surely, it goes down to like two times a month, then one times a month, then once every six weeks. They stop reading their Bible. They're pushing people away because they're living in sin. And the ever presence of people, scripture, or the church is just more conviction in their own soul. And I'm telling you, Satan wants to make you desperate spiritually and separate you relationally. I'm just, in all of it, Jesus, I want to remind us today, has the power over the realm of demonic, over the demonic realm. And we don't have to give in. We don't have to give in to these things. And I guarantee you there's people joining us online or in this room that maybe you feel like this individual. There's no way forward. I guarantee you there's people in this room. I've sinned too much. I'm beyond the point. I talk to people all the time, and I was just sitting somewhere recently. People find out I'm a pastor. They start apologizing to me for swearing, and immediately they're like, yeah, I can never come to your church. I'd burst into a ball of flames when I entered the church. That's what they say to me. This is what I, I'm not kidding you all the time. Oh, I could never come to church because I'm, I, yeah. I literally sat with two guys hunting last week up north, and one of them told me, um, yeah, you and I will be in hell one day. Not me, them two. And that's where they sat. Because they feel like, man, I've done too much, I've gone too far, I'm hopeless. And I promise you there's people here online that feel the same way today. You're beyond the point of being forgiven. Shame of sin has come into your life so much. The grip of sin is on your soul. And you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And I'm here to tell you, no one is beyond the reach of God's grace. 
No person online, you've not done too much. Even a demoniac who is overwhelmed by thousands of demons can still be healed in the name of Jesus, and you're no, no different today. People that did atrocities this last week in the Middle East, they're not beyond the grace of God. Because everyone can experience the healing grace of Jesus, no matter who they are. He, over, he, he is over the demonic realm. As well, he's over the demonic realm as he restores our humanity. I want to change that word a little bit. He, he, he restores us to the, to the way we're truly supposed to be is what I mean by that. Look with me in verse 14. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid, and those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Right? This man is restored and in his right mind. So the herdsmen, they see all that happens, and they kind of respond. Man, they didn't own the pigs, but they knew the owners who did. And can you imagine how much wealth is 2,000 pigs in that time? I guarantee you it's a great amount of wealth. They didn't own them, but, man, they're like, man, I, I don't know what's going to happen to us. We're supposed to watch these things. And, and now they're gone, and we're out of a job. we got no pigs to watch. And so they go into the city, bring more people to see what has happened, and they're terrified. I mean, I, I think I would be terrified. Imagine how many people have tried to help this young man. They've tried to chain him. They've tried to keep him in a certain place. They've even maybe tried to help throughout the years his family, and nothing could help this man. And then in a moment, this guy by the name of Jesus with long hair, with a blue sash, gets out of a boat. I'm kidding. He didn't look like that. And he steps onto the shores, and in a moment, he's healed. I would be terrified. Like, who has? These are Gentiles, I should remind you. They're like, who has the power that the demon comes and bows at his feet and says, what are you going to do with us? And in a moment, he says, hey, get out of here. Go to the pigs. They're overwhelmed by the power of Jesus. They say, hey, man, it'd be great if you left town. We don't know anything about you. You just killed all of our pigs. The man, on the other hand, is responds so much differently. He's sitting there, clothed now, not naked. His dignity is brought back to him. The way he was created to be a human being is brought back to him, and he's sitting in his right mind. His disposition is completely changed. He's not screaming and cutting himself. He, he's wearing clothes. He's not chained or shackled like humans should not be. He's experienced true peace. His life has been radically changed. In a moment, Jesus again shares the power he has to restore individuals. Restore them to who they're really meant to be. I wonder if you ever thought, like I have, sometimes I can go to extreme places. Sometimes I look at the events of this last week and really 
many other times, just a reminder this week. And I look at what happens and I think, how could a person do that? Like, what is so off in their soul? What, what type of hate and anger can do something like that? And that might be an extreme case. Oftentimes, I look at my own self, my own life, as I look in the mirror and I say, Jim, you idiot. What are you thinking? Or I look at people, believers in Jesus, who are blowing up their lives. And I think, man, what are they thinking? Why? Why would they do that? And I'm reminded of passages like this. That they're not in their right mind. that there's real forces of evil that are doing all they can to get you out of your right mind and in the mind of hatred, in the mind of lust, in the mind of, of envy, the mind of bitterness, the mind of strife and disunity, the mind of all other things that the Bible says is detrimental to individuals and society. And he's really, really good. As my sister just said, our hearts have to wake up every single morning and put on the whole armor of God to what does it say in Ephesians? To stand against the what? The schemes of the devil. It's football season. Amen? And we have a winning team, praise God. Like, we can just close with worship right now. Right? I think that's partly why our attendance has been down lately. So many people are at the games, actually. I'm just kidding. Not really. But, I mean, but anyways, um, it's fascinating when you hear that word. I mean, good football players, what do they do? They watch film, right? Tons and tons of film. And what do they call it in football? They're setting up schemes. Because when you watch someone's life or the way they play football, you set up schemes to trip them up, to win, to defeat them. Can I tell you, the greatest watcher of film of your life is Satan himself and the demonic forces. And they know exactly what you like, what sin you struggle with, where your, the, the chinks in your armor are. They know everything about your life. And they're doing everything possible to set up schemes to trip you up, to damage your mind, to separate you physically from other believers, to, to spiritually make you desperate, to cause you to, to literally accept the mind and the heart of the world around you every single day. He knows you. He's watching you. And he's doing everything he can to, to, to win you over to the wrong mindset. And so when we look at people, believers or non-believers, and we're like, man, how in the world could they go that path? It's because they've been tricked. They've been they, they've tripped up on the scheme that the devil has them from the very beginning and Adam and Eve and believing the lie. And their minds are not of the right stuff. 
That's why it's so important what, what, what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. Don't be conformed to the world, right? How do we do that? By transforming our mind, by the renewing of our mind. Well, how do we renew our mind? By the scriptures. As I'm in the word of God, it's renewing my mind and saying, no, Satan is wrong. The love of money is wrong. I shouldn't just keep it all for myself. I should be generous. No, I shouldn't be looking at that stuff on the internet because it will never give me pleasure or satisfaction. It will only take me down a road that will destroy me, my family, and the next generation. No, I don't want to believe in hatred and bitterness. And I'm going to accept forgiveness because it brings joy and fulfillment. And it's the way of Jesus. And I could go on and on and on and on and Satan is at a war with your mind with your heart and the scriptures they speak a different they speak a different way and it brings us to a place where Jesus restores and if you're in a place today that you have been dominated in your thinking and in your soul and in your heart by things that are not of God, I'm telling you right now, in the name of Jesus, your mind can be restored, your heart can be restored, you can be forgiven, you can walk with Jesus today. May we be people that are constantly renewing our mind with the word of God and not falling captive to the schemes of Satan. Lastly, the one, one of the ways with which Jesus has power over the realm of Satan is he commissions us for ministry. Look what he does with this young man. Verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Seems like a good request, doesn't it? And he did not permit him. He said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. See, one of the ways in which he, his power over the realm of Satan is that he commissions each one of us, you and me, with our story in tow to be missionaries in the world around us. I find it fascinating, this man wants to follow Jesus. He wants to be with the guy who healed him. I mean, this is a biblical thing. I think it's an appropriate response. But Jesus doesn't permit it. He says, no, I got bigger plans for you. I'm gonna, I, want, I want the first seed, maybe the first missionary to go into the Gentile nation, and you're going to be it. I want you to go back to your friends and your family and tell them, and to the Decapolis, really, it's just a, uh, 10 Gentile cities. I want you to go back and say, hey, this is what the God of the universe has done for me. I find it fascinating, this man had no missionary experience, no theological training, just a personal testimony of transformation, how Jesus had freed him from the power of darkness, and the man turned and went and did as he has been called to do. We don't know all the ramifications, and I don't think we're meant to, because it's not in Scripture. We don't know if a bunch of people accepted Christ. We don't know if he knew the Romans road and he shared the gospel. We don't know any of that stuff. We just know that Jesus told him to go back to your home and the place where you do life and your friends and your family and share with them what you have experienced in me. I just want to, at the end here now, remind you and me, as I have the last number of weeks that I've been able to share, is that you have a profound story of God's grace that is given to you to share with the people that you do life 
every single day, right? Every one of you in this room, everyone who's joined us online, I don't care who you are, I don't care what kind of fluffy story you had or hard story you had, you all have a story of being delivered from, from, from the, the clutches of Satan and being a slave to the sin and, and the brokenness of this world. You've been rescued and redeemed and transferred into the kingdom of God if you place your faith and trust in Jesus. And we do this super weird thing in the Christianity, in, in the Christian faith, is that we do this story topping. How many people love a story topper? You share a story, and then the next person, they're like, oh, yeah, I had the same experience, except mine was like 10 times worse. Thanks, man, appreciate it. Oh, man, I, I, I went to this place. Oh, yeah, I've been there like five times. They're like, dude, we don't care. In the name of Jesus, we don't care. Right, how many people love a story topper? We do the same thing in Christianity. I've literally heard so many people in my 15, 16 years of ministry be like, I don't have a story to tell because they've heard the only thing we platform in the church is people who were possessed by 6,000 demons and radically came to faith by a dream of seeing Jesus glowing and lifted up from the sky. And they're like, man, I don't have a story like that. I got nothing to share. I wasn't a drug dealer. I wasn't human trafficking and God rescued me. Like, I was just an ordinary kid who grew up in church when I was 12 years old. I gave my life to Jesus, and ever since then, I've had some struggles, and I've tried to follow Jesus, and I'm doing the best I can. Can I tell you, we do this really dumb thing in Christianity that one is significant and the other isn't. All of them are significant because you've been rescued and redeemed out of the clutches of darkness. And all of them are a story of transformation. Every one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, were just like this demoniac. They were, you were trapped in the clutches of darkness. There was nothing you could do outside of yourself. And Jesus himself made a way for you to be redeemed and walk in newness of life with a, with a new mind clothed in his, his grace and his mercy and the blood of Jesus that you might be able to walk in newness of life. Every one of you in this room. And it doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter if you're, you were a, a, a good Christian, or a kid that grew up in the church, or you were saved radically from what we deem as worse sin or brokenness. And every one of you in this room, every one of you joining online, has that story to tell. You see, God delivers us. God delivers you. God delivered this young man so that we can go and share of his ultimate transformation in our souls. We are commissioned to go, therefore, and make disciples to overwhelm the powers of Satan. But Satan's working really hard on your mind and my mind and in the American church to keep us silent. You don't have a story to tell. You're too broken. You're not good enough. You don't have all the right answers. No. You may not be theologically trained. You may not have eloquent speech, but you have a story of how Jesus saved you, redeemed you, rescued you, and put you in a sound mind. And he says to go. Go and tell. Parents, tell your children of what Jesus has done for you. Tell your workers, 
what Jesus has done for you. Tell your friends what Jesus has done for you. Tell the people you don't like what Jesus has done for you. And may we see less people overwhelmed by the power of darkness and more people walking in newness of life because Jesus is still actively working today. And may I remind you again, so is Satan. And he wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus wants you to walk in newness of life, being his representatives here on earth. Let's pray together. God, thanks for thanks for the truth of the story, God, that it is a great picture. A great picture of what we have experienced. That everybody in this room, everyone that's online, God, that has been redeemed by your blood, that placed their faith and trust in you, they were at one time bound, overwhelmed, separated. But you came after us. You redeemed us. You gave us an opportunity to respond. So we thank you for that, Lord. Would you move among us to go out as your people? putting on the whole armor of God, not allowing the schemes of Satan to overwhelm us. If there's people here today or join us online, God, that think that they're too much, too far gone, or they can't come to church, would you dispel that in Jesus' name in their own heart and mind, helping them to know that there's no one too far, too forgotten, done too much, but all people can experience the grace of God. And God, if there's people here today that are still bound in the chains of darkness, would you call them in this moment in this singing, to confess of their brokenness, call on you as their Savior, place all their faith and trust in you, and today they will be redeemed. God, we thank you that you are abundantly powerful, today ruling and reigning still, even though it may not look like it sometimes, we believe it. And today, God, as we sing, we believe in our hearts that you are the one who overwhelms the darkness and we can fully trust in you. It's in Jesus' great name we pray, amen.